Martinez. You remember we are in this Colossian hymn or this Colossian creed that Paul has, has put into this book for our good. But we're going to read starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 23, focusing on 17 and 18. Hear these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and for the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed it is... It has come as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain and dark of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a blessing. Father God, you have given us uh, your word. Lord, Paul was carried along by the Spirit when he wrote these words to the church in Colossae. But Lord, we know that it was not just for the church in Colossae. It's for us. 
So Lord, would you take your words and impress them on our hearts for our good and for your glory's sake. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we started off and we learned that this section, verses 15 through 20, is some kind of early church hymn or some early church creed. And it was given to kind of be a succinct definition, a succinct thing that they would sing or say together to say, this is who Christ is. And ultimately, it was a a powerful declaration of Jesus' supremacy over all things. He was supreme over all things. Jesus was the full disclosure of God to man. He was the first in rank. He was the first in honor. He was a creator over everything. And there's nothing that exists outside of His realm of authority, dominion, or power. Nothing exists outside of Christ. He is supreme over all things. And if I don't sometimes get an amen out of just saying that, there's something dead in your heart. There there should be something resonating in you just saying, yeah, thanks be to God. Amen. So I'm open to talk back, just so you know. Thank you. So further, everything was made for Christ, and it was made for for His glory. Every human being, every human being here, ever made, ever created, going to be created, was made to glorify Christ. In fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the, the first question, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's, that's our chief end. That is our why we were created is to glorify God and ultimately to enjoy Him now and forever. That is why we are here. So when we glor- we will glorify uh, Christ by confessing Him as Savior and Lord. When we repent of our sins and and receive Him by faith, or we will glorify Him as we receive the due punishment for our sins in hell. Those are two ways that we glorify God. The issue is not if we glorify Christ. The issue is how we glorify Christ. Whether it is in salvation or in judgment. How are we, the people of God, going to glorify Christ? And that's just another way to to capture the clear message of Colossians that strikes at the independent, self-resilient heart of every man, woman, and child. You do not make Christ the center. He is the center. So will we, will you glorify Him? That's the question that we have to ask today. Will you, wherever God has planted you, will you glorify Him? Our text this morning builds on the supremacy of Christ that is established in verses 15 and 16. He is supreme over all things. And it does that by identifying that Jesus holds everything. He holds everything together, which should lead us to realize that Jesus is not only, only needs to be first in rank, but also to be first in influence. Or very simply, he needs to be, we need to know that life falls apart without Jesus. It's true. Our life falls apart without Jesus. 
You see, the whole premise of this book is really not complicated at all in any way. At least it's not difficult to understand. Paul simply identifies who Jesus is and he helps us to understand what should happen in light of this truth. What should happen in light of this truth as Jesus being supreme, preeminent, to be honored, the foremost. What should happen in light of this truth? So if it's true that life falls apart without Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about you have Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory, but He holds you together in your salvation, in your growth. He holds you when, when the tide comes and is crashing up against your life. He holds you together if that is true, that our life falls apart without Jesus, then what should we do? What should we think? What should we say to help us live that truth out in our hearts and our daily lives? So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to give you three confessional statements from Scripture. Summaries of what we believe, confessional statements that flow out of these truths that we learn in verses 17 and 18. And here's the first confessional statement. The first confession is that we need to, we need to make uh, the reality that we can say out loud, I am dependent on you. I am dependent on you. Men, I want you to say this, this phrase out loud. I am dependent on you. Men. Yeah, yeah, that's obvious that that's how it works out in your home too, right? Because you don't like to even say those words out loud. It scares the living daylights out of you to say, Honey, I am dependent on you. I need you. So men, say it again. I'm dependent on you. you. Alright, ladies, does that feel good? To hear those words. This might be one of the few times you actually hear this. But life... Life falls apart when we forget that we cannot make it or really do anything apart from Christ. Unfortunately, I don't learn this lesson very easily. I don't learn it easily. I usually learn it after everything seems to fall apart, right? It's when when our life hits the bottom that all of a sudden we just say, God, I am dependent on you. I need you right now. My life has been shattered on these rocks. I am dependent on you. Would you hold me together? And those are often the moments that we say these things, right? It's not when things are going great. You're getting those raises. Your marriage is wonderful. Your kids are glowing. They give you a great report card. Your finances are all in order. Everything is just beautiful and wonderful. We don't say this confessional statement that, Lord, I am dependent on you. We don't. I think that is a sign of immaturity when we are more apt to say, I am dependent on you only after we realize it is because of hard circumstances. As opposed to saying, Lord, I'm dependent on you because of our deep, deep understanding of who Jesus is. I want to get to the point in my life, and I want you to get to that point in your life where you say, we're saying, I am dependent on you is a forward-looking statement. 
Not an evaluation of what I, what I missed again or what God is going to have, has to teach me in a really hard way. But it is constant looking forward and say, Lord, in everything, in everything, I am dependent on you and you alone. Verse 17 identifies Jesus is, is before all things. And this word means that Jesus is in front of or prior to everything that has ever existed. Therefore, the idea simply means that Jesus is pre-existent of everything that is, and therefore, everything exists by him, through him, and to him. Everything. And so to be before things is not just a statement about time. It's not just a statement about time. It's a declaration of source. He is the source of all things. In other words, there was never a time when he wasn't. And there was nothing that existed outside or prior to him. So Jesus' pre-existence implies power. It implies authority. It makes everything else dependent upon Him. If He is pre-existent before all things and in Him there is power and authority, then everything else is dependent upon Christ. So, to be before all things means that you, God, are alone, God. And everything depends upon you, God. The second thing that we learn here in verse 17 is that in Him all things hold together. This is a dependency of a different kind. Jesus is, is not only the source from which everything flows, but He is the sustainer and the preserver of the entire universe. The first talks about from Christ... Flows from Christ. That is very much who He is. And the second piece says, the one that has allowed everything to flow from is the very one that still holds all things together. He holds all things together. Jesus is the great unifier of the entire universe. The unifier. Everything is held together by Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, he upholds the universe by the word of His power. So you could think of Jesus as the very living, living link or the vital bond that holds all things together. Do you know what the image Jesus used? He, he said, he put it this way. I am the vine. You are the branches and apart from me you can do nothing you can do nothing and i think that there are few things more critical to us than deeply deeply understanding the fact that we are dependent on him for everything you are dependent on Him for everything. We are dependent on Christ and it is a matter of whether or not we acknowledge that fact and live by that fact. We 
are dependent. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that I am dependent on Christ for all things? Dependency. Dependency on Jesus begins with trusting Him as Savior and as Lord for the forgiveness of our sins. That's where dependency begins. But that is not the end. We are dependent upon Him for a right relationship with God. But that is the, only the beginning of our need for Him. Colossians 1.7 calls us to live dependent lives all the time, relying on the very life of Christ. Jesus gives us the Spirit as an agent to even accomplish that dependency. Remember, it is Christ in you the hope of glory. So we need to see our dependency through a totally different new lens. We need to see that, that Jesus, by definition, is a source for everything. We need to see that He holds all things together. We need to see that salvation comes from dependency on Christ. We need to see that Christ-likeness equals growing in dependency. In dependency. It is the Spirit's role to help you become more dependent. We need to see that you can do nothing, nothing, depart from dependency. We need to understand and believe and live into the reality that God loves dependency. His goal in creating you was not to create independent children. His desire is to create children who love and long to be dependent on God and love and long to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever as dependent creatures. That is God's desire. Therefore, we need to embrace everything and anything that causes dependency on Christ. And therefore, we need to get on board with it. Second major confessional statement that we see here is in verse 18. I need your power. I need your power. The first confession directed our hearts to Jesus. And this statement indicates what we need from Him. It's an acknowledgement of our dependency but even more, it is a statement of our inadequacy. I need your power. Why? Because you are powerful, and I am, apart from Christ, I am powerless. I need your power. Admitting inadequacy is not something that I ever love doing. I don't know about you. I don't know how many of you just walk around the house, walk around your workplace and say, you know what the reality is? I'm totally inadequate for this. I, I love telling my boss how inadequate I am when performing these functions. I love telling my spouse how inadequate I really am. It makes me feel really great, right? I, I love telling my children, you know what the reality is? Mommy's totally inadequate for this. Dad, Daddy's really inadequate for this. We love saying that, right? We, that's really our strong suit. The answer is no. None of us love saying those kind of things. Admitting inadequacy is different than admitting you are dependent, though. Inadequacy is acknowledging that you are powerless, 
powerless to change the circumstances that made you realize that you are dependent. For those husbands who hate to ask for directions, this will help you to understand the difference. Knowing that you need to stop and ask for directions reveals a level of dependency. But saying, I'm lost, can you help me? <laughs> That's a whole different thing, right? It reflects your inadequacy to figure out where you are going. It's saying, I need someone else. I'm dependent, yes. But saying I'm inadequate and I need some other power is a more powerful statement. This is why so many people refuse to even come to Christ in the first place. They, they, they are simply unwilling to admit that they are absolutely powerless to fix the problems of their life. And tragically, hell will be filled with self-reliant people. I can just do this on my own. I can pull myself up from my bootstraps and I can, I make, can have a better life now. I can do this. I can do that. If I just work a little bit harder, I can make this a better life. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. You're, you're absolutely powerless. You're absolutely powerless. So verse 18 has two important phrases in it. Head of the body, the church, and He is the first... He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Both of these reflect the power of Christ. Paul uses the illustration of the body to communicate what Christ is to the church. He identifies Christ as the head, which means the following. He is the ultimate authority in the church. He is the true leader of the church. And He is the source of life. In a church. That's something even that I as a leader need to really keep in mind. I am not the source of life for this church. I am not what brings vibrancy and life and growth to this church. As soon as I start believing that, I've made God. The reality is that Jesus Christ is the source of life for our church. And that should transform the way that those of you who are Sunday school teachers look at the way that you teach these kids. You should be praying before you even go down and meet with these kids and just say, Jesus, you are the source of life. Would you, through me, bring life to these children? God, you are the source of life in marriage. God, I cannot fix this broken thing. I need you to bring life, breathe life into our marriage. God, I need you in this broken relationship, in this or in that. I need you to bring life. Would you come? Because I cannot do it. I am absolutely powerless. I am hopeless apart from you. I'm dependent on you. I'm inadequate. I need your power. And that's got to be our confession in all that we do, in how you raise your children, in how you look at your finances, in how you do life. Lord, I need you. I'm inadequate. I need your power for my life. I need your power in this situation. And Hebrews 12.2 describes Jesus Christ as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He establishes our church. He's the one who empowers the church. Jesus empowers the church. Jesus one time asked Peter, 
who he, Peter, thought Jesus was. And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, listen, on this rock, on, on this fact, I will build my church. I will build my church on the fact that I am who I say I am. And then Jesus goes on to say, not only will I build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is nothing that is going to stop the church. Because he's the founder, the perfecter. He's the source. One of my favorite books on revival, those of you who love dead guys, uh, know that dead guys probably write better than most of our modern-day folks. One of my favorite guys to read, he's difficult to read, but he is deep. His name is Jonathan Edwards. Um, and Jonathan Edwards wrote this short little book called The Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. Not the most catchy title, but it's a really, really good, hard, tough read. He identifies from 1 John chapter 4, Five marks of genuine revival that take place in the church. Five marks. The first one that uh, he lists is this. The first mark of true revival is this. When esteem for the true Jesus is realized. That's when revival takes place in the church. When we have true esteem for the true Jesus when that is raised and elevated, when Jesus is placed where He is supposed to be, the core, when we identify that, and we love and adore and uh, everything about Jesus, that is when revival breaks out. In other words, a sign of true revival is when people come to realize in fresh and new ways their need and their desire for Jesus Christ. They come to know that they are absolutely powerless apart from Him. Another guy by the name of Gary Benfold uh, wrote, kind of translated uh, Jonathan Edwards stuff because Jonathan Edwards is kind of this old English, kind of hard to, for our modern ears to hear. And he, he wrote about this section here. He kind of transcribed what Jonathan Edwards said. And this is what he said about that first mark of revival. So if people are being convinced of their need of Christ and led to him, if their belief that Christ appeared in history is strengthened, if they are more convinced than ever that He is the Son of God sent to save sinners, if they acknowledge that He is the only Savior and they need Him desperately, if they appreciate Him more than they did and they love Him too, we may be quite sure that it is the Holy Spirit who is at work. So when true esteem for Christ is raised more and more in our life, what are we going to see happen in our life? We are going to see the winds of the Spirit move more powerfully in our church, in our neighborhood. It is, it is going to so transform the evangelism that we do not do by making us actually evangelists. Yeah, that's me calling your bluff. 
When's the last time you actually shared the gospel? No, don't, don't give me, I, I've been a really good guy. I've been really nice to my neighbors. That, that's not evangelism. Evangelism says, I have raised the esteem of Christ in my life so that I am dependent on Him. I'm totally inadequate without Him. And you are too! You need Him. Your life is falling apart without Christ. You need Christ. You're going to do it in a little bit more passionate, uh, kind, contextual kind of ways as you know your neighbors. But does your heart flow with a, I am dependent on Him. I'm inadequate without Him. And you need Him. Because apart from Him, friend, neighbor, family member, hell is filled with self-reliant people. You need Christ. So Jesus is the head of the church and He's the source of all power and the source of all authority. But there's, there's more. He is described as the firstborn of the dead. That means that Jesus is the first one who God raised from the dead and He is the first fruits, the first fruits of a coming resurrection for those who know Him. For those who are in Christ, He was the firstborn out of the grave. And there will be many to follow. Many to follow. In other words, Jesus' resurrection was a clear statement to the devil that sin and death has been defeated. It's done. It's been defeated. And through Jesus' victory, followers received the power. Listen to this. Believers received the power to defeat sin and death as well. And I'm not sure you really believe that. Through the resurrection of Christ, as we identify with Christ, we have received power. Not our power. His power to defeat sin in your life. Death that is in your life. So His status as firstborn from the dead means that something very is, there is something very powerful for those who know Him as Lord and Savior. And here's how Romans 6, verses 3 to 4 kind of connect the dots for us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried with Christ. Therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might all walk in newness of life. So what happened to Christ, if we are in Christ, that same power that raised Christ from the grave is in us. And available to us who are in Christ and saying, I am dependent on You. I'm inadequate and I need You, Lord. It's very clear that we share in Jesus' resurrected power. Not something to be exploited, right? So if He was the firstborn from the dead and the source of power, then it is absolutely imperative that we recognize our need to have Him 
empower our lives. And this is the conclusion that Paul comes to in Romans chapter 6. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So therefore, the second cry of our hearts needs to be, Lord, I need your power. I need your power. It sounds like uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to me. That I know him and the power and the power of his resurrection. The question then is rather simple. Where do you need Christ's power in your life? And that's probably a question you need to write down. If you're in a missional community, this is a great one for you to write down. Where do you need Christ's power in your life? Really think about it. Some of you are going, I'll tell you right now. I don't feel comfortable out loud, but I can tell you where I need Christ's power right now in my life. This one besetting sin, this one sweet sin, this one area in my marriage, this one area in my raising my children, this one area in my finances. I, I need I need Christ's power in my life in this area. I need it with, with how I think of people or how I perceive situations or I, me thinking that I am God, that I can control situations. No, this is where I need the power of Christ to kill that so that I can come more alive to re, relying on Christ and Christ alone. So just think about your life right now and evaluate where things seem to be falling apart. The reality is that Jesus can turn them around. He's not going to give you the Joel Olstein, the best life now, where everything's going to be just daisies and roses. Because the reality is He has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And there's nothing too hard for Him. But the thing that we cling on to is not our best life now, but our best Savior now. That's what we need most. There's nothing too hard for him. Hear this. He can take a sinful desire that is so strong and he can make it unappetizing. Some of you need to hear that. He can break the enemy's power in your life by giving you new desires that you have never had and you can't have without him. He'll give you new desires. Jesus can give you a love for a spouse, a child, or a friend who seems absolutely unlovable. He can give that to you. He can give you strength to face uncertain days, fears, or complex problems with that seem to have no clear solutions. He can give you words and power and action that you cannot have on your own. And He can change the one thing that no one can change. The human heart. He can change it. Talk about a heart of stone being transformed into a heart of flesh. I've never seen a rock become human flesh. But that's what God does to our human hearts. So Jesus is full of infinite power. Infinite. Our problem is not that He is insufficient, right? That's not our problem that he's insufficient. Our problem is that we are too 
self-sufficient. We are way too self-sufficient. And the sooner that we realize that we need His help and His power and His strength, the better off we will be. Our problem, friends, is, is not that we believe that Jesus is insufficient. Our problem is our own self-sufficiency. Life falls apart when we fail to realize that we need Jesus' help. So here's the last, the third confessional statement. I need you more than anything. And I want this to spring from our hearts in fresh and new ways. Really. Could you imagine in between 75 and 125 people who just really believe this? That Jesus, I need you more than anything. The end goal is for us to realize that depending and abiding and trusting in Jesus is more valuable than anything else in the world. Really. Colossians 1.18, Paul ends with the simple statement that in everything he might be preeminent. That in what? Everything. Not just those things that you think you can, can control, but that in everything. That is a totality statement right there. That in everything, everything can think of everything you can devise everything you can plan everything you're living in everything everything in everything he might be preeminent he might be over all things he was the first in time therefore what that means that he gets to be the first in rank he gets to be the first in influence such an idea that everything previous Jesus worthy has such an Staggering, staggering influence on our lives. It means that Jesus takes precedence over all things. Over all things. Think about it. Really, kind of live into that just for a moment. That Jesus is preeminent in all things. That He might be preeminent in all things. First in time, he was before everything was created, he was the first to conquer death. And as a result of that is the fact that there is no one, no one, nothing more important, nothing more central, nothing more essential, nothing more worthy, nothing more glorious than Jesus Christ himself. Nothing. Period. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That he is preeminent in all things. The totality of my life is His. And it's a desire to say, Lord, I need more of You. I am not satisfied with this. And I'm not satisfied with her being right where she's at. I'm not satisfied with Him right there where He's at. I want Him to know Christ more. And I want them to need Christ more. That changes the way we do ministry. It changes the way that we do evangelism. It changes the way that we worship. The way that we sing these songs and go, Jesus, I don't know the words of these songs. I can hardly, I can hardly keep tune. But I'm going to sing because you know what? These words are proclaiming that I need you. 
I need you more. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if that was really true of us? Listen to this song. I almost cry every time that I sing it by myself in the car. Uh, Brent, go ahead.
you know why that song resonates with me so much? Because the heart of every disciple of Christ knows that only Jesus alone is worthy like that. Lord, here's my life. You can have all that this world has to offer. I don't care. Even if I'm in the best place in my world, or I'm in my lowest place in my world, or in the most boring place in my world, just give me Jesus. That's all that I want. That's my heart's cry. I love my kids, but just give me Jesus. I love my job, but just give me Jesus. I love my spouse, but just give me, I need more of Jesus. I need Christ. So do you know what you need today? We need people who are captivated, just totally captivated with the preeminence of Christ in all things. Captivated. You are so you are just captured by this idea of reality. This reality of Christ is preeminent over all things. You are just captivated, and that is so transforming the way I'm now dealing with this, or the way I'm dealing with this situation, or this person, or this whatever it is. I am captured by this idea. We need some people whose lives are so filled so filled with the love for Jesus that people will look at them and say, you are some kind of freak. There is something really odd and almost to me in my brokenness disturbing about you that you are so loving. I don't get it, but I'm curious. There's something about you. We need people who know Jesus so well so well that when anything else comes across their path that might look attractive or appealing, they can see it in light of who Jesus is. Really? Jesus. That looks appetizing. And the world may be chasing after that, but you have never tasted Christ. He has so captivated my heart. I don't need those things that the world are offering me. It may look appealing. It may be pretty. It may throw me extra cash. It may give me a new lifestyle. It may give me all the dreams of my life. But Christ is what I want. These are good things, but I need Christ more. That's what I want. That's what I desire. We need people who will celebrate communion today and and turn it into a platform of saying... Lord, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, God. And I'm trying to live into the reality that you are preeminent in all things. But this is my story. I want to be praising you all my day long. And so to those of us who are trapped in the sin of our your own, own sufficiency. I have to tell you, life falls apart without Christ. To those who are trying to fix your own problems in your own life, on your own, 
life falls apart without Jesus. To those whose marriages or homes are starting to drift, life falls apart without Jesus. To those whose problems seem so huge and complex and overwhelming that you are consumed with worry and fear, life falls apart without Jesus. So I'm inviting you today to preach something new and powerful to your soul. I want you to preach those three confessional statements. I I want you to preach to your soul, Jesus, I am dependent on you. Jesus, really, more and more, I am dependent on you. Jesus, on top of that, I need your power. And Jesus, I need you more than anything. Preach that to your soul. Because I'm going to tell you, you cannot do it on your own. Your life is going to fall apart without Christ. Amen? Let's pray.